0: Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. We're not going to have
1: a mission accomplished moment. This is the right decision and quite frankly overdue. Terrorist organizations have the capability to come roaring back. The Pfizer vaccine. Asking approval for a
0: third dose. We may need to give a boost.
1: Elsa is powering up the East Coast. Tornado flooding concern.
0: Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7.
1: All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Friday, getting your weekend started. Remember the story that came out right as COVID became a reality when Senator Richard Burr was under investigation because he and his wife sold $1.72 million worth of stock. And a lot of that was related to inside, well, the accusation was, it was related to inside information that Burr had received concerning the seriousness of COVID-19. Now, he said that he strictly sold his stocks based on information that was publicly available from sources such as CNBC. Okay. Uh, He was under investigation. According to an article in the News and Observer today, Burr has paid some $700,000 for legal services related to this investigation since July of last year. And most of that has come out of his campaign funds. As his campaign funds have been diminished because they've been handing checks over to legal help, for legal help, a number of other senators have been helping out by cutting checks to Richard Burr. And it's uh, for somebody that's totally innocent, I, I, I don't have a lot of inside information. I don't want to make any accusations here. The fund has received almost $300,000 in contributions from fellow senators, according to this new report. I am not certain as to, as I'm reading this report, I cannot really tell you whether or not. Now, they're, they're coming from fellow senators' leadership committees to pay mounting legal expenses through 2021. I, I am not certain whether or not this is tied at all to the campaign war chest of these senators and congressmen. I do know from this report that Richard Burr has been paying his legal expenses from campaign contributions, his campaign war chest. Now, I, my question would be on this is, when you write a check to a member of Congress to their re-election campaign, did you expect it to go to pay for legal expenses? Just just asking some questions. It's, and this is all legal. Such trust funds are legal under Senate rules established in 1980, and they contain stipulations on who can donate, how much can donate, what happens with any leftover money. And again, the, the, the fund has received some $300,000 in contributions, mostly from other senators, according to this report. And, and when they make these rules up for the Senate... You know, this is when it becomes bipartisan. (laughs) This is when everybody votes for it. Because generally speaking, these special rules that don't apply to you and I, but apply to members of the Senate and the House, these special rules usually personally benefit those who pass them. Just saying. I think we'll hear more about this in days to come. The Epic Times is reporting President Joe Biden is signing an executive order aimed at increasing competition in the U.S. economy. This, according to the White House today. For decades, corporate consolidation has been accelerating. In over 75% of U.S. industries, a smaller number of large companies now control more of the businesses than they did 20 years ago. This is true across healthcare, financial services, agriculture, and more, the White House said in a fact sheet released before the signing ceremony. Now, what's interesting about this is while the Biden administration is saying that, the ITIF, a think tank, said that industries are not growing more concentrated. They're saying only 4% of U.S. industries are highly concentrated, and a share of industries with low levels of concentration grew by about 25% over the last 15 years, from 2002 to 2017. The lack of competition drives out drives up prices for consumers the White House said as fewer large players have controlled more of the market markups charges over costs have tripled families are paying higher prices for for necessities things like prescription drugs hearing aids and internet service uh, you know a, a big reason why we're paying more and the biggest reason why we're paying more or because of things that the federal government has done. Uh, you're going to see inflation continue to increase because the, the federal government is running a huge deficit and they're printing money hand over fist. The federal government shut down our economy over COVID. And as a result, supply and demand is such that there's a lot more demand than there is supply. So it's not just the private sector. It's not just competition. Now, the order includes 72 initiatives by over a dozen federal agencies that will help promote competition. Uh, Can you cite for me the last time federal agencies did anything that was successfully helping the American people? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, OK, you, you can you can twist and turn and talk about, oh, uh, look what they did with the vaccines and those kind of things. But I mean, uh, long term, uh, have, have they have they done anything that really helped the American people? Usually when they get involved, it, it doesn't turn out well. They go on to say that these initiatives include making it easier to ch- change jobs and raise wages by banning or limiting non-compete agreements and occupational licensing requirements deemed necessary, lowering prescription drug prices, letting hearing aids be sold over-the-counter at drugstores, requiring upfront disclosure by airlines of add-on fees, and banning early termination fees by Internet providers deemed excessive. I'm not sure how, I mean, maybe one or two of those things are related to competition, but most of those sound like more like price control issues. Most of those do not sound like they have a lot to do with encouraging competition in the marketplace. President Biden is taking decisive action to reduce the trend of corporate consolidation increase competition, and deliver concrete benefits to American consumers, workers, farmers, and small businesses, the White House said. One key area of addressing is the they are addressing is big tech firms, including Facebook and Google. The order takes aim at so-called killer acquisitions, or how big tech companies buy up potential competitors, by increasing scrutiny of such purchases or mergers. Some of this sounds good. I mean, some of this sounds good on paper. It sounds good. And, you know, perhaps one of the areas that the feds could look at big tech is by taking away the protections that they enjoy. Because they are supposed to be platforms that do not edit, do not censor. That's why they have this protection from being sued. Perhaps they need to take that away first. And while I like the idea of encouraging competitions, competition, that's good. But like most things that Democrats come up with, the devil is in the details. Rarely do the titles of their initiatives bear much resemblance to what they actually propose. Rarely. Even if they pass this. And even if there are many aspects of this that are good and that will encourage competition, my concern is, will it be equally applied? Uh, Go back to things like how they have applied tax-exempt status through the IRS. Uh, Those laws are good if they're equally applied. If you allow conservative groups, Christian groups, to get tax-exempt status as easy as you would a liberal or progressive group. That has become the problem with the federal government of late. It's not necessarily that the laws are bad. It's that the laws are not equally applied. While the Biden administration alleged monopoly in the United States has been rising, as I said earlier, other think tanks have said it's really no worse now than it's been before. I-, I would like to see them rein in big tech. But it's interesting how the Democrats, they don't want to touch big tech. Big tech has been good to them. Big tech helped Joe Biden get in. I mean, we saw how, you know, the head of Facebook sent out dollars to increase the vote in uh Geographical areas that were predominantly blue, but ignored the areas that were predominantly red. The, the devil is in the details. They're going to they're push this. It's going to be sold. You look at the mainstream media tonight. They're going to they're gonna sell this as this is great for the economy. This is Joe Biden at its best. This And they're going to sell this as, as being a, a bipartisan situation. Again, the devil's going to be in the details. Will it be equally applied? And what else is in there? Just like every other bill that Joe Biden has tried to get through so far in his six, eight months as uh, president, they advertise one thing, but you got to read the details to find out the entire piece of garbage. Washington Free Beacon is reporting federal judges in three states have put on hold a Biden administration program that forgives loans on the basis of race, farm loans. The American Rescue Plan, yeah, that's one of the plans I was just talking about. The American Rescue Plan offers about $4 billion in relief from farm service agency loans for African-American, Hispanic, and Native American farmers. Male white farmers need not apply, according to the Biden administration. But judges hearing challenges to the program in Florida, Texas, and Wisconsin found it violates constitutional equal protection principles and enjoined it to a nationwide basis. The program's architect said it was a reparations measure made urgent by the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> I, I mean, it, st- Stop and listen to what they said. It's reparations, but we, we need to shove the reparations through because of the coronavirus pandemic. They have been talking about reparations for at least a decade now. And here's once again, to quote Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste. Hey, we got a coronavirus pandemic here. Let's shove through reparations. The Biden administration says the loan relief measure is necessary to remediate decades of discrimination against minority farmers by the Department of Agriculture. Here's the only problem, and this is what the judge has pointed out. Where exactly is your empirical evidence that there has been any discrimination? There is none. There is none. Several major civil rights lawsuits have compensated farmers for specific acts of uh, discrimination said Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilsack. However, those settlements and other related actions did not address the systemic and cumulative impacts of discrimination over a number of decades that the American Rescue Plan now begins to address. Listen, this is, and I bring this up once in a while, I'm not trying to put the spotlight on me, but when I had to sue the FCC for the awarding of of licenses for radio stations, the, the FCC was saying the same thing. They were saying that because of past discrimination against women in the awarding of licenses from the FCC, they could now discriminate against white males. And this is why I was suing the FCC. I and mean, this goes back 30 years ago in this lawsuit. And we basically changed the way the FCC had, had to that, – that, how, how they award licenses – Now they auction them off to the highest bidder. But this is this is the same thing that now Tom Vilsack is saying that this this undefined past discrimination that's gone on for decades. uh, But they they don't cite any examples. The FCC couldn't cite any examples. And now the Agricultural Department can't cite any specific examples. You know, one of the other things that they said is, okay, if there has been discrimination, the cure needs to be equivalent to the past discriminations. I mean, you, you can't come out and suddenly have this huge policy where you're giving away billions of dollars to certain farmers based on their race, not based upon specific discrimination. U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor wrote, Any past discrimination is too attenuated from any present-day lingering effects to justify race-based remedial action by Congress. Two courts faulted the program for being both over- and under-inclusive. They ruled the program was over-inclusive because it could provide relief to people who have never experienced discrimination, which is true. I mean, you could have an African-American farmer or an Hispanic farmer who just started farming a few years ago, never experienced any type of discrimination, and suddenly they get special treatment just because of their race. You know, it's, it's interesting how we're living in a day and age where you have progressives pointing the spotlight at this so-called systemic racism I mean, a, 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 systemic race, a system of racism that, that somehow our, our whole system of governing, our whole system of economics, our, our, our whole system of everything that we do, the progressives are saying, okay, th- this is a system of racism. But yet they can't point to anything specific. And their cure for it is more racism I mean, is it not curious that those that scream and holler about how racist America is, what do they want to do? They want to implement racist policy. You talk about systemic racism. This is an example of systemic racism. What Tom Vilsack, the Biden administration and the Agriculture Department wants to do. This is systemic racism. If you're a certain race, we're going to give you special treatment from the federal government. If you're not that certain race, then you don't qualify. You want systemic racism. Here it is. Exhibit A. Unbelievable. Hey, stay with us. Much more to come on the Friday edition of News and Views. I'll be right back.
0: shotgun with your 5 o'clock drive. A drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7.
1: Welcome back in. Taking a look at your weather forecast for the weekend. Looks uh, pretty good. Uh, Chance of rain tonight. Basically between 7 and 9 o'clock is about a 50% chance of rain in eastern Carolina. Saturday looks pretty good. Lots of sunshine high around 90. Sunday a slight chance of a shower or two high in the mid 80s. And uh, other than that, uh, we'll have lows in the 70s in the evenings. And uh, overall, pretty good. Elsa has gone, so uh, enjoy your weekend. Weather brought to you by our friends at Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Bo- voted best golf course in Greenville two years in a row, Ironwood Golf and Country Club boasts an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course full-service dining and outdoor pool, tennis, and more. Our newly renovated 15,000-square-foot clubhouse is the perfect place to make new traditions with your family. For a limited time, join Ironwood, pay zero initiation fees. Give them a call, 252-752-4653. Find out what makes us the best of Greenville, 252-752-4653. And uh, if you want to learn the game of golf, remember, there's no better instructor in Eastern Carolina than John LaMonica. Give him a call and uh, find out how you can start to enjoy Ironwood and golf, 252-752-4653. So do you remember last summer when basically Antifa and Black Lives Matter were going crazy in certain cities? And we saw all kinds of violence, including violence in Chicago. And if you remember, Donald Trump called up the mayor of Chicago, Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, and offered her, because she has to ask, the uh, president, federal officials cannot send in personnel from armed services to protect a city if they're not asked by the local officials. So Trump called up the mayor and offered to send in federal troops to Chicago. And he was uh, rejected. He rejected. Uh, he was rejected by Lightfoot. She said at the time, troops are forces that come from military. And obviously that is not what is needed in Chicago. I have made it clear that we do not need nor want troops or any unnamed federal officers that we've seen in news reports from Portland. I am confident that I've made this point crystal clear on your behalf. And by the way, the federal officers that were in Portland were there to protect federal office buildings and federal courts because local officials basically said, let the looters burn them so the federal government sent in federal officers to protect their federal buildings. So that was last summer. Over the Independence Day weekend as we reported on uh, Tuesday, there were 108 people shot in Chicago, including a 5 and a 6-year-old. Uh I think there's something like 18 that were killed. It was in the teens, I don't remember the exact number. So in uh Since the shootings in Chicago and the shootings continue Uh, right now, we're pretty much where we were in 2020, the summer of uh, burn the city. What does Lightfoot do now? She rejected, rejected Trump, but she's got a new buddy in the White House, Cousin Eddie. So she has now gone and requested of Joe Biden will you please send in federal troops to help protect Chicago? Yeah. So she rejects Trump's help last summer because of politics, choosing to grandstand rather than protect the people of her city. In fact, she actually blamed Trump and his lack of leadership for her city's violence. Now, the violence hasn't changed at all in her city. But she can't blame Trump anymore. So if it was Trump's fault then and now he's gone and cousin Eddie's in charge and the violence hasn't changed, uh, it sort of takes away from your uh, accusation against Trump. But stop and think about this. It was politics that made her make this decision. And we have had not just a few, not just tens, we've had How many dozens and dozens of people shot and killed? Now, we've had hundreds shot, but shot and killed in Chicago? Dozens and dozens and dozens since Donald Trump made the offer a year ago. So in the name of politics, how many people have died under the leadership of Lori Lightfoot? Because she refused to accept the offer from Donald Trump. Because why? Because she hates Donald Trump. If she had accepted that help, would she have looked bad? I think she would have looked good. I mean, I don't think anybody could, I don't care who's the mayor there. You you have to rule Chicago. Maybe it sounds caustic, but with an iron fist right now, you've got to rein in the troubled areas. You don't rein it in by defunding the police. The Daily Wire is reporting new Navy guidance. This is unbelievable. Trans men can use facilities that correspond to their gender identity. Misgendering leads to unlawful hostile work environment. Naval naval intelligence officers were sent guidance on LGBT pronouns and bathroom usage, informing them repeatedly misgendering a coworker leads to an unlawful, hostile work environment. An email obtained by the Daily Wire, naval officers were told that under updated Title VII protections, they cannot repeatedly misgender someone without facing consequences potentially legal. So you've got a guy that looks like a guy. He's got a beard, six foot two, and uh, he wants to be called "ma'am." I mean, just (laughs) Uh, yeah. Are you going to deliberately, hostily, not refer to him as "ma'am"? Well, even if it was deliberately, I (laughs) I wouldn't blame you. But this is crazy. This is crazy. Intentionally and repeatedly using the wrong name and pronoun to refer to a transgender employee could contribute to an unlawful, hostile work environment. Accidental misuse of transgender employees' preferred name and pronoun does not violate Title VII. So how do you you determine that? He said, she said. An internal whistleblower told the Daily Wire that they are concerned that this updated guidance violates an officer's religious freedom. Yeah, you think? They dubbed the new rules troubling. The email also included a slew of LGBT glossary terms, including intersex, sex-based harassment, transition. Per the definition, officers would seemingly be guilty of sex-based harassment if they used a transgender employee's wrong pronouns or name. Uh, welcome to the world of nuts. Sex-based harassment is defined as unwelcome conduct that is severe or persuasive that has no sexual component but is instead aimed at disparaging an employee because of the employee's gender or sex. That's all they want is a sexual component. <laughs> That's what this whole thing is about. The email also included a myth-buster which told Naval officers that transgender men are allowed to use women's bathrooms and locker room facilities and vice versa. The email cited the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's fact sheet on bathroom access. Employees may have separate facilities for men and women, but also may choose to have unisex or single-use facilities, the Navy email reads. However, the EEOC has taken the position that when these facilities are segregated by sex, all men and women, including transgender men and women, should be allowed to use the facility that corresponds with their gender identity. Folks, now now hear me, okay? I know this is, you know, we're, we're seeing this in a lot of places, especially places run by the government, federal buildings and such. But we're talking about the armed services. We're talking about a group of men and women that are there to defend the United States of America from our enemies, we're talking about an organization that is there to blow things up and hurt people and kill people, not because they want to, but to defend the United States of America. And what, we're, what are we doing? We're running, we're, we're embracing the sexual revolution into our armed services. Lord, help us if we're attacked. Do you think our enemies... Are cowering in fear as they see these stories, as they see this new naval guidance. Speaking of which, a coalition of 21 red state attorneys, that would be Republicans. State attorney generals, I should say, sent a letter to President Joe Biden yesterday up, or this earlier this week opposing new regulatory guidance on pronoun preferences and sex separate bathrooms and locker rooms. The Education Department Equal Opportunity Employment Commission in June issued an informal guidance document on the Supreme Court's landmark gay rights decision, Bostock versus Clayton County. Many schools and employers will choose to comply, even though those directives do not have the force of the law prompting critics to charge the administration with social engineering through regulatory um, minutia. Yeah, you think? Tennessee Attorney General Herbert Stately, who led the Red State Coalition, wrote, Federal agencies do not have the authority to unilaterally change laws. That is the exclusive prerogative of Congress. Actions like these exclude the voices, votes, and participation of the people and their representatives, which is neither right nor constitutional. So, how many times have we said... Now, we haven't said it probably as uh, straightforward and eloquently as uh, this attorney general from the state of Tennessee said, but he hit it out of the park. That's exactly what we the, the, the point that we have been making. These agencies nor executive orders make law. And yet, you've got this agency that would take Bostock versus Clayton County a decision on a specific case in Virginia where this female who thought she was a male, and she's out of high school now, but they basically ruled in her favor that she could go ahead and shower with the guys, Um, but so this agency takes that ruling specific to that case and comes out with this pronouncement that every school has got to do the same, that they're making it part of the, a federal agency is basically trying to make it law. It is, um. Uh, we, we as mark robinson said in his uh, july 4th speech patriots you got to wake up you got to take control you got to make your voices heard you can't just stand by and do nothing hey we've got to take another time out lots more to talk about stay with us news and views continues right after this break
0: his hand so many times he can now see the answers to his tests from high school uh those aren't the right answers and you never know what to expect with tom lambrecht on talk six three and
1: 103.7 welcome back in 17 minutes before the top of the hour so did you hear about this uh utah chapter of black lives matter Uh, They are facing some backlash after they called the United States flag a symbol of hatred. In a Facebook post on July the 4th, Utah's Black Lives Matter chapter wrote that the American flag is a symbol of hatred and that those flying it are racist. You probably didn't know you were a racist, but uh, apparently you are. Quote, when we black Americans see this flag, we know the person flying it is not safe to be around. The post reads... When we see this flag, we know the person flying it is a racist. When we see this flag, we know the person flying it lives in a different America than we do. When we see this flag, we question your intelligence. We know to avoid you, it is a symbol of hatred. Wow, you question our intelligence? Lex Scott, the chapter's founder, said she stands by her words, quote, If you see that every person that hates you is carrying an American flag... How would you feel about that flag? How do you know every person that carries the flag hates you? You know that every person that carries the flag hates you. Okay. If the message of hate that you receive comes from the person flying the flag, how would you feel when you see that flag? I fear, I feel fear. That's not up for debate. I feel like the person flying it is racist because every racist that I've come in contact with is either wearing that flag or flying that flag. I feel as if I should avoid that person because they may be dangerous. Of course, what is your definition of racist? I mean, race the race card has been used for so long, And for anything that goes against a liberal ideology, that's what you do. You pull the race card. You have nothing. You you cannot debate the issues, so you play the race card. And for years and years, decades even, it worked. The people sat there and shuddered in fear that they would be called a racist. That if Al Sharpton came against their business or, you know, and, and now people are saying, stick it. Call me anything you want. It doesn't work anymore. The national BLM movement was founded on the premise that black people in America are systemically oppressed. There it is, systemically. And that the system of capitalism does not value all lives. Now, it's it's interesting that we we say, and, and many others have said it as well, that, you know, BLM, critical race theory, critical theory, is out of the Frankfurt School. It's a Marxist ideology. And so they've now made the leap from racism, and they now include that capitalism doesn't value all lives. Capitalism isn't a person, Lex. It's an economic system of freedom that anyone can participate in. Blacks participate in it, whites, Indians, Mexicans, Hispanics, anybody. It, along with its twin, free enterprise, have pulled more people out of poverty than any other economic system in our history. People who have benefited and been enriched by capitalism, it's up to them to decide how they want to use their wealth. Some might be hoarders, greedy. Others are quite benevolent. But capitalism can't value or disregard lives. It can't. Only people who participate in capitalism can, as well as people who participate in communism or in socialism or in any kind of despot situation, dictatorial leadership. But here's the question. What flag is better? What country do you want to go to? What country? Now now, you're Marxist. I mean, the the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, callers and others that started the Black Lives Matter, they're self acknowledged Marxist. So we know, you know, you probably want to fly under the Russian flag or the Cuban flag or the communist China flag. Take a turn. And how well are those people doing? You you really want to go down and live in in Cuba? Who does a better job? E pluris unum. Out of many, one. And you know what? I, I, that's been pretty successful over the decades and centuries. Far from perfect. Compare it to other countries where tribalism split. I think we're doing okay. Stay with us. This
0: is your Drive at Five and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 1037.
1: Wrapping things up for a Friday. Hope you're looking for a uh, forward to a good weekend. The Epic Times is reporting in Arizona the Secretary of State wants the state attorney to Donald Trump and several allies broke the law when they tried pr- pressuring Maricopa County officials to intervene in election certification and counting efforts in late 2020. Phone calls and texts from Trump, his lawyer Rudy Giuliani, and Arizona Republican Party chairwoman Kelly Ward. May have violated state law that makes it a felony to knowingly interfere in any manner with an election officer. Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, a Democrat, told Arizona Attorney General Mark Bronvick, a Republican, in a letter this week. The law also says that people commit a felony when they try inducing an election officer to violate or refuse to comply with the officer's duty or any law regarding the election. You know, there's two ways of looking at this. One could just as easily say that perhaps Trump, Giuliani and Kelly were encouraging Maricopa County officials to do their job. In fact, the more we find out about the election in that county, the more obvious it becomes that some encouragement to do their job well uh, is was needed and uh, is well founded. Quote, we have received the Secretary of State's letter and have no further comment at this time. Keddy Conner said for uh, the Attorney General's office, the Arizona Republican Party, Giuliani, and Trump's office did not return calls for comments. Hickman, who was the key person in Maricopa County in charge of elections, said that the operator from the White House called him and asked if Donald Trump could speak to him. He never took the call. He never returned the call. Hickman never talked to Donald Trump. So basically, this all stems from the White House operator calling this individual Hickman. He never talked to him. I mean, there, there is no there there. And yet, you have Democrats still trying to attack Donald Trump. I am fully convinced the reason why they're trying to attack Donald Trump, it's the same thing that Hillary Clinton was doing. The, when you are guilty, what do you do? You, uh, you accuse your opponent of being the one that's doing the dirty deeds. Isn't it interesting that Trump, Giuliani, and Kelly Ward are being accused basically of trying to undermine an election because they put a phone call into an election official after the election was over. The phone call never happened. I mean, it it, it was a, a request was made, but Hickman never talked to Trump. Where, on the other hand, is the outrage against people like Mark Iallis, who came in prior to the election to numerous states, including North Carolina, and successfully but illegally went around state legislators, as he did in North Carolina, to change election law. Now, if you're going to accuse Donald Trump because the White House operator put a phone call in to Hickman, who was the head official of the Maricopa County Election Board, if you're going to do an investigation on Trump for that, my gosh, where is the investigational mark iallis where is it why isn't it taking place it's not taking place because of who's in the white house because who is the attorney general up in washington dc not republicans wow you know i i hope uh all these folks, uh, I, I, one day, I think one day when uh, we have a Republican back in the White House, we have uh, the Senate back in Republicans' hands, and we have the House back in Republican hands, I, I hope, I hope and pray that Republicans will do their due diligence and investigate guys like Mark Iallis and others who have corrupted the election system and don't just walk away from it and say, we're going to let bygones be bygones. If they do, we will continue to have the issues that we had in November of 2020. Hey, listen, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll do it again uh, on Wednesday. I'll be out of town Monday and Tuesday. We'll see you Wednesday of next week. Bye-bye, everybody. All
0: right.